By the way, I'm an idiot. Um, when Go I on. said 6.30, I meant to say 6.30 Pacific. I don't know why I for the Kobe game. <laughs> I meant to say 6.30 Pacific, and I said 6.30 Eastern, which then put me – because I was like – and then I went 3.30 Pacific, so I don't know. I was confused. I know I wrote it right for my story because I went back and looked at what I wrote. So it was 6.30 Pacific, uh, 9.30 Eastern, which then lends more credence to your story, LZ, as to why the magazine couldn't put it in there. So I, uh, I apologize. I, I, if I, I knew said what that you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, um, LZ, um, man, I, I, I want to ask you this because you are a Lions fan. Rawr. And the, the big story this week is about Don't NFL hiring. Why are you trying to embarrass me in front of the listeners? I've already just, been through enough in my life. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but the it, it has been an, a, a weird week for coaching hires, I, I, I would say, <laughs> to put that kindly. Um Laura, if you have the sound of Dan Campbell, oh, the, Lord. the Lions head coach. Now, look, I've got a little um, history with Dan Campbell because, as you know, I've grew up, uh, I grew up a Dolphins fan, and mm-hmm. he was like the interim coach for a little while, one of the coaches mm-hmm. that got fired. Did he bite I don't your remember kneecap when. when you were there? Huh? Did he bite your kneecap at all while you He did you? not bite my okay. kneecap, no. Um, I was in Bristol already, but um, he did not try to bite my kneecap uh, at all. But he was very much a, and I'm going to try to put this in the nicest way possible. But he's a little bit of a meathead, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like do you remember the Revenge of the Nerds movie? Yep. Do you remember Ogre? <laughs> Dan Campbell reminds me of Ogre. There is also a character on South Park that's like a teacher, who's like a bro teacher. Like, God, what is the name of that character on South Park? South Park. Bro teacher. I bet you if I Google it, it will come up. Um, PC principal. PC principal. Yes. Mm. PC principal. That is Dan Campbell. If you want to do yourself a favor, just Google image PC principal South Park and Google Dan, Dan Campbell and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. So anyway, Dan Campbell gets named the Lions head coach because he went in there to those offices and swayed those executives and owners by going out there and being a meathead. Go ahead, Laura. This place has been kicked. It's been battered. It's been bruised. And I can sit up here and give you coach speak all day long. I can give you, uh, you know, hey, we're going to win this many games. I can't. But none of that matters, and you guys don't want to hear it anyway. You've had enough of that. So excuse my language. All right? Here's what I do know is that this team – is going to take on the identity of this city, all right? And the city's been been down, and it found a way to get up, all right? It's found a way to uh, overcome adversity, all right? And so this team's going to be built on, uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, all right? And, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. <laughs> All right, and on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're oh going to God. get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before before long, we're going to be the last one standing. All right, that's going to be the mentality. Okay, listen. First of all, 
if you've been knocked down that many times and that person is still knocking you down that many times, why is it taking them more times to knock you down every time? You've got to be exhausted if you've been knocked down because the first time they knocked you down, LZ, it was one shot and he, and then, you know, after you kicked him in the teeth and then he smiled at you. But then the next time he took you down, it was two shots and got back up and then three shots and got back up. Nobody gets stronger in a fight as it goes on. So that in itself is a fallacy. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm actually more embarrassed by his press conference than I was for the 0-16 season we experienced. And I'm not even joking. Right. Because my hometown team, the team of Detroit, the team in downtown Detroit that became of prominence under the guidance of a one of the first African-American mayors in the history of this country who guided us from like the ashes and blah, 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 blah. Right, right. In this year, of all years, on the heels of racial reconciliation and social justice and all, all the, we, we know all the background. Right. They went out and got that dude. <laughs> PC principal. That dude. Yeah. What? What? It was art. Was it not embarrassing enough to have Matt Patricia walking around with a pencil in his ear that he didn't even need? Was that not embarrassing enough to endure that? Jim Caldwell, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, Coach Caldwell was a black man. Coach Caldwell got us to the playoffs mm-hmm. multiple times. When I tweeted about this guy, I said, hell, bring back Wayne Fonts. Wayne Fox got it to the play- playoffs at least multiple times, including an NFC championship game. Yeah. Scott Mitchell. Scott Mitchell, exactly. Barry Sanders. Yeah. And I'm like, you fired Jim Caldwell for disappointment, right? Disappointment. And you've been descending ever since. Right. And I'm sitting here and I'm like going, there are – so many more qualified people yes. than the kneecap guy who has intern and interim on his resume, but not coordinator of any sort. No, no. Did you see the picture I just sent you? <laughs> oh, God. It's the South Park uh, character. Oh, Lord. Doesn't he look like Dan Campbell? Oh, gosh. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just embarrassed for Detroit or the state of Michigan. I'm embarrassed. Oh, God, that is him. I told you. That is is the South Park character. PC principal. They went out and hired a caricature of a football coach. So I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, it's not even, even though I've written about extensively, including like today. Yeah, in the LA Times, I saw that. About the racial gap in hiring. No coaches, no coaches of color hired. uh, Seven openings. As, as so far, there there was one Muslim. Well, there's American, one left, which, right? Which I was happy to see. Oh, right, Salah, yeah, yeah, over in, in, in with the Jets, but yeah. seven vacancies, and so far, you know, and we had to beg the Houston Texans to interview Eric Bieniemy. So right. I'm sitting here and I'm like going, "All right, Lions, who did you hire?" Yeah, and then the press conference comes out, and I'm like, "Are we tanking for who? Who's the next quarterback we're tanking for?" Because clearly. You didn't go out and do our best. This is not our best. Oh, it's so great. It just isn't. I want him to bite more kneecaps all year long. I just want to play kneecap biting all year is what I want. That's what I want. 
It's embarrassing, though. I, don't, I know that nobody here embarrassing. Re- really cares about the Lions, but I feel like the audio that that Dan Campbell could provide could be the one of the greatest sources of entertainment that we could have next football season um, if he continues talking about biting kneecaps. Let me go to Jason, who's in Downey, who's been holding patiently. He wants to talk about being at that 81-point game for Kobe. Oh. Today is the 15-year anniversary. Jason, how are you? First and foremost, i got to say, it's glad to have Laura back because when I called... When she wasn't, the phone just rang. I called. Wow. Her. I wow. That, that is a shot at everyone not named Laura. My bad, dog. I heard it ringing, but I was on air. My bad. It's all good. But, yeah, I remember that day to a T. Um, I remember I, I every, every time I tried going to the game with my dad, it just was hard because I worked at 7, and the games were at 730, and those games were so damn expensive that even if someone says, show that you missed a lot, and you didn't get your money's worth, so – that Sunday, my dad was like, yo, man, I got these tickets. It's Sunday at 6.30. Let's go. And I remember even having a, pre, a pre, pre-meal at uh, Manuel Cepillac. had myself a Hollenbeck burrito, carne asada, and we went in. Who knew that? I, I would, we would leave that night seeing probably the best game he's ever played. I even laughed, too, because I had every Kobe jersey, you know, from the, from the OG purple to the mm. yellow. To, I even had a, a, like, when they changed the jerseys. That night, I bought myself a Lamar Odom jersey because I said, you know what? I have too many Kobe's. Let me switch it up. I bought it before the game, and then I was like, well, maybe I should have just bought the eight. <laughs> the eight <laughs> white jerseys. I didn't do it. But, man, that, that game was special, and it's crazy that, you know, it's the 15th anniversary, and then we're coming up on his death, I think, Tuesday, and it's yeah. it's, it's going to be a rough one for Los Angeles. I can honestly say I have the uh, – the, when he died, I tattooed 24 and 8 on me because he meant so much to not only Los Angeles but to me. So, and thank you guys for letting me on there. Have a great day. All right, Jason, Thanks, be safe, man. That's Jason and Downey, 877-710-ESPN. If you want to continue throughout the show, we're going to celebrate Kobe's 81-point game, the 15-year anniversary. But coming up next, LZ, we were just talking about the issues in the National Football League, and our next guest is certainly more than qualified to handle that conversation. Howard Bryant of ESPN uh, will join us to talk about the memory of Hank Aaron. The biggest story in sports today is the passing of the great Hank Aaron Uh, We will talk to Howard, who wrote the book, literally, on uh, Hank Aaron in just a few moments. We'll be back in three and a half minutes. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN on a Friday. It's uh, an action-packed show. We've got so many things we've been discussing today. Kobe's 81-point anniversary. Obviously, just Mm -hmm. the game yesterday, right? Uh, And nothing uh, sadder, unfortunately, than the passing of Henry Aaron today. And we are having on Howard Bryant. Uh, of ESPN and NPR wrote literally the book on Henry Aaron, on Hank Aaron, and he's joining us here now. We're thankful to have him on. Howard, thank you so much for joining us. But before we get into Hank Aaron's career, I just want to tell you about our friend L.Z. Granderson. So <laughs> check this out. So so during the break, you know, you know, we, we usually communicate during the break, right? Uh, hey, L.Z., so I was thinking of this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking, and all of a sudden I'm like, L.Z., are you there? Are you there? I'm like, did we lose LZ? And they're like, no, no, he's connected. So eventually he comes back like a minute later. He's huffing and puffing. And LZ, tell Howard why you were huffing and puffing. 
so first of all, what's up, Howard? So I was, so I'm charged with making dinner for the fam, right? Which I love. I love cooking. <laughs> so I put on a tri-tip in the smoker, you know, in the middle of the day and knowing that it would be done before the show. But then I decided to throw in some potatoes as well. You know, might as well bake the potatoes while I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I get the rip, the, the tri-tip out, but the potatoes aren't done. And I said to myself, oh, well, I'll just run out and get the potatoes out during commercial break. That was 90 minutes ago. Uh-huh. So as I'm looking out the window, I see smoke coming from over where the, the grill and stuff is in the kitchen outside. And I'm like going, dang, I thought I turned that thing off. Oh, no, the potatoes. Yeah. And so I spread it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. To get the potatoes. Oh, no. Famous yeah. last words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, no. So, yeah, we won't be having any taters. So, I don't, yeah. I don't know what they got with going with the, yeah. with the tips, but it won't be potatoes. Luckily, you were coming on because we had a lot of things to discuss with you anyway. So, it was going to be a short <laughs> conversation during the break between me and him that we never got to have. But uh, nonetheless, Howard, thank you so much for joining us here. And again, uh, if you haven't had a chance to see Howard's book, uh, about Hank Aaron, uh, obviously passed today. The Last Hero, The li- Life of Henry Aaron by Howard Bryan, our guest right now. Um, you know, Howard, I guess my first question to you would be, as someone who, who wrote his biography, um, what would be the aspect of his life that if someone wasn't intimate, intimately familiar with him would surprise them the most? Well, that's a great question. I mean, Henry, you have to remember, I mean, here's a man born in 1934. He's, you're born in the Great Depression. You lived through World War II. You lived through civil rights. You lived through everything. I think the thing that I find most amazing about Henry is the number of different places where he was involved. Like, for example, let's do this one. Henry was a lifelong Democrat, Okay. He was a lifelong Democrat and had been involved in Democratic politics since the early 1960s, since 1960, in fact. The reason he was involved in politics, we find out later, was because John F. Kennedy, the Kennedy campaign, called him to offset the influence of the one person who was his, his, his idol, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was campaigning for Richard Nixon, and the Kennedy campaign said, we need some Negro superstar athletes out there to offset Jackie Robinson's influence. So I just find it fascinating that, that these two people who are so influential to each other and to the world were actually put in opposition to one another <laughs> in the 1960 presidential campaign. That's fantastic. And if memory serves me correct, um, Howard, uh, Dr. King's father was a Republican. I think Dr. King, too, was a Republican, right? Yes. Until, was... until Goldwater and until yeah. Vietnam. Yeah, that's, that's... And then it I, changed. That's absolutely remarkable. You know, I, I, I've had an opportunity to, 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 to speak with him and spend time with him multiple times when I was at the AJC, the Atlanta General Constitution, and... Um, the thing that always struck me was the media's narrative about him being bitter just never appeared when I was around him. And I couldn't tell if it was because he was comfortable around me or because more time had passed. But can you can you spend some time talking about, you know, how the narrative of him being bitter 
really sort of conflicted perhaps, and maybe you had a different experience, but I think generally speaking, the narrative of him being bitter really conflicted who he actually was. Yeah, it was completely inaccurate. But I think it's a label that we see a lot of times. Here's the question, Elsie. I mean, journalists, we know this, right? You know, do you want to know the story of my life or don't you? Do you want to hear what I have to say or do you need me to say something that fits into what you want to write about or what you want to talk about? And so Mm -hmm. often in Henry's case, it was the latter. People didn't want to know what he had to say. Henry was never bitter about the facts of his life, but he told you the facts of his life. He told you what had happened to him. I remember talking to him and he told me about how his his mother used to tell him when the Ku Klux Klan used to march down the street in Mobile. They used to take all eight kids and, and put them under the bed. Is he bitter about that, or are these the facts of his life? These are the facts of his life. When he was playing in Milwaukee, they win the, they win the World Series in 57. They lose the World Series in eight, seven games in 58. They, make the play, they lose a three-game playoff to the Dodgers in 59. After that 59 playoff, he goes to the YMCA with Frank Torrey, with Joe's older brother. And the manager won't let the great Hank Aaron into the YMCA because the Milwaukee YMCA was segregated. And Frank Torrey was like, what kind of place do you guys run here? Don't you see that's Hank Aaron? You cheer for him every day. That's Hank Aaron. And, you know, rules were rules. So was he bitter telling you these things or was he telling you what happened to him? And I think that that discomfort is something that a lot of athletes and a lot of people have have to deal with. It's not something that is unique to Henry, but it was at such a massive scale. How is he supposed to feel about doing everything that America asked him to do, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and the whole thing and being self-made and, and, and playing 23 years and not complaining and never going on the DL. And then when you're finally at the top of your career about to break Babe Ruth's record, People are threatening your family and telling you they're going to assassinate you. How are you supposed to feel? Yeah, certainly. I mean, of course. Uh, Howard Bryant, the great Howard Bryant, joining us here of ESPN NPR. He's a great author, obviously. He has uh, the book on Hank Aaron, The Last Hero, Life of Henry Aaron, uh, that was published in 2010 originally. Um, How did he feel, Howard, about Barry Bonds surpassing him and his record? Well, I think that he always thought, I mean, the record stood for 33 years. I I think that it's an interesting place that we're in. When I started to work on Last Hero, Bonds hadn't broken the record yet. And Henry was convinced that nobody cared about him except through the lens of Bonds. He didn't even want to talk to me. It took me two years to actually sit down with him because he was convinced. We had to make a deal. I had to agree that I was not going to ask him any questions about Barry Bonds or the record until after the record was broken. Right. And I remember when he and I, when we were first negotiating this and first talking about the book, he was convinced that nobody was interested in him except about Bonds. And I said, you're Henry Aaron. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, but he didn't quite. I said, we could write an entire volume of, of about you, a three volume set and not mention Bonds. So, he was conflicted about where the public was going. He wasn't sure where he felt, he, where he fit. He thought it was a lose-lose. If he came out and talked about how much he disapproved of, of performance enhancers, then he looked like a bitter old man that didn't want his record broken, sour grapes. And if he said nothing, then he looked like he was condoning drugs. So he figured 
the best thing for me to do is to let this whole thing play out. I'll say what I have to say, but for the most part, I'm going to stay quiet and let it pass. And I, I think it was the right strategy. Did you ever find any secret to his success? Like we can talk, you know, at Nazim about how he was such a gentleman and navigated some horrific racist situations in the Jim Crow South. But at the end of the day, he was easily the game's greatest hitter as well. Was there anything that he shared with you that, you know, helped you understand why he was so good at what many consider to be the hardest thing to do in sports, which is hit a baseball? Yeah, absolutely, Ozzy. And I think the, the, the biggest thing was, was to do something that I find impossible, but it's clearly not impossible because he did it. And that was, we, we were at his house one, no, we weren't, I think we were in Cooperstown. We were up at the Hall of Fame and we were talking about concentration. And he said, the one thing I've seen it happen with so many players, I've seen guys ruin their families because the game wasn't going great. And I've seen guys ruin their careers because things weren't going well in their family. So my motto had always been, don't bring the ballpark home and don't bring home to the ballpark. And I said, well, Henry, that sounds easy. How do you do it? I mean, the guy's going through a divorce. How can you not hit 220? He's like, I went through a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) But that's who he was. The ability to concentrate. The ability to go out and just deal with what's in front of you. Elsie, you know know this. It's it's, it's the same way people talk about Rafa Nadal being able to play point to point. And like everything that happened before doesn't matter and everything that happens in the future doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is this point right here. That's how Henry was. And it's just such an amazingly difficult thing to do. And with their talent level, with that concentration level, you get legend. Hmm. Howard Bryant, the great Howard Bryant. If if you'd like, you can check out the book, of course, the last hero, a life of Henry Aaron, uh, does a phenomenal job as an author, works for us here at ESPN. We're happy to have him at NPR as well. Howard, thank you so much for making time for wait, us. Wait, 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 wait uh, George. I got one more question for oh, you. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's, it's okay. It's all good. Um, I know what it's like to follow an athlete and talk about their life and put it to a book. How did you handle, how did you feel, when did you find out about his passing? Because I can only assume it was very emotional for you, given the amount of time you spent and, of course, what his story meant for all of us. Yeah, it was it was a I found out this morning I got a text from from Lou Moore, the professor over at uh, at Grand Valley State. And um, I um, I was just, you know, obviously, immediately you're thinking about everybody. You're thinking about his wife, Billy. You're thinking about his children. You're thinking about Dusty. You're thinking about Wash. You're thinking about all the guys and Dave Stewart and you're thinking about everybody who, who Henry, you know, all those connections, especially because the black, the, the black community in baseball more than any of the other sports is tight, especially that generation, that Jim Crow black baseball generation, very, very, very tight. And all I could think of was all of the different, you know, the chains in that, in that reaction. And it was, it, Talking about it has been somewhat helpful being on the air all day, but boy, I can tell you when I hang up, it's not going it, to, it's not going to go away. That, that feeling, I mean, because he's, he's, he's the giant. I mean, who, you know, between he and Mays, they're the two greatest living players. And now Willie is by himself. The last hero, a life of Henry Aaron. Make sure you check it out. Howard Bryant, 
uh, wrote it. He's our guest here of ESPN and NPR. Howard, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for making some time for us late on a Friday. We appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Howard. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you. All right, take care. All right, quick break. Coming up next, LZ, Anthony Davis. Ooh, he's got some honesty in him these days. Mm. He has grown into his own self. Like, he is an adult now. I love this Anthony Davis that's saying all sorts of stuff. We'll tell you what he said recently in just a moment. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Thanks to Howard Bryant for joining us there. Clint Yates going to stop by at 615. O'Shea is going to join us because we can't be talking about Kobe without O'Shea Jackson Jr. stopping by. So uh, we've got them in the next hour. Please stick around for that. Um, So it's funny. Before I get to Anthony Davis, I had a situation at the gas station today. And I would call it a situation. It was more of an observation today at the gas station, LZ. And it was, I'm there getting gas, you know, and uh, and you know what? I'll be honest. I bought myself a Mega Millions ticket because it is literally $1 billion, okay? <laughs> okay? It is $1 billion, and I said, you know what? I'm going to let these 10 bucks ride and see what happens, okay? I am normally not a uh, lottery player, but when it gets to a certain point, I'm like, hey, I ain't going to miss out. You know, I, you, know you don't play, you don't win. So... I, uh, I'm filling my gas, right? And, uh, you know, I go inside real quick with my mask on and get, get a lottery, you know, ticket for the Mega Millions. And I noticed there's these kids behind me pumping gas. And I looked, and they are young kids, okay? They are high school kids. And they are driving an expensive ass SUV, okay? And I don't know about you. Now, maybe it's because I grew up poor, Right? And I had a hand-me-down car. But I'm telling you this. I just think I don't care how much money you have. I feel like giving a brand-new vehicle, especially an expensive brand-new vehicle, to a child driving their first car, which this clearly seemed like it was, is a terrible idea. Because you know what young kids end up doing? They get into accidents, okay? They're going to wreck that car in some way, shape, or form. Or they're going to do stupid stuff with the car. They're going to go off-roading with the car. Because I think about what I used to do when I was an idiot and I was 16 years old uh, and thought I was indestructible and didn't know the understanding of anything. Um, I am going to be that parent that I don't care what I do for a living and that we are blessed to have what we have um, because of the career I have. But I am getting my kids a used jalopy and they are going to like it, damn it. Y'all had a car at 16. I'm tripping on that. I had my legs or my mama I didn't driving have a me. Car at 16. Mm-mm. I had my mom's car. Well, it wasn't my car. It was my mom's car I got to use at 16. I don't think my mom had a car when I was 16, but keep going. Okay. <laughs> but my point is this. I am not gi- I I am not giving a 16. 16- uh, do you believe in the theory of giving a 16-year-old child? And I mean, look, LZ, you've been in this business for a long time. Mm-hmm. Isaiah is in his 20s, okay? Yep. And 
my guess is you didn't go and do the bow on the car for him. You know what I'm saying? Like with some brand new vehicle at some point. I would. You gave him an education is what you did. I did not do those things. Though I will say, though, George, this generation of young people do not want to drive the way that we and maybe like the generation after us wanted to drive. And so right, because Uber is, is a thing. Yes. So so like I had to convince him just to get a driver's license. So it's like a it's like apples and oranges. Though in your example, clearly those young people weren't in the same boat. But I do know. Um, from the people that the young people who were hanging around Isaiah and and at the time you know the high school and stuff driving just wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know what I would have done if, you know, if it were, you know, maybe he would have gotten a jalopy too. No, yeah, because I maybe he I feel like you need a jalopy because you're gonna he screw up that car, right? Like you like when you first started driving. I mean, I got into accidents even if it was stupid little things like I'd bump into things like in my own driveway, you know. My my um, first car was a sort of like a bright red like topaz. Oh my god! My mom's car was a bright red tempo. <laughs> we was like the same car basically. <laughs> same car, same car. And I called the car. Um, I think I called it Jesus Loves Jesse. <laughs> Why? <laughs> One because I got the car because Jesus blessed me with it. Love right. was just love, and then Jesse was Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard. Oh, I see. That's funny. <laughs> so I gave it that name. That's funny. That and it's also funny that we literally almost had the same car. <laughs> that was the easy, cheapo, you know, get around Zoom Zoom mobile. Yeah. But damn, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to hate on how other people raise their kids and what they other give the kids and things like that. But it certainly seems like zero to a billion to give them that car at that age. Uh, dog, I'm not even going to tell you the, the, the make of the SUV. But just trust me when I tell you that this car is expensive as hell, okay? Like, I wouldn't buy that car for me because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> nah, that's too much, okay? <laughs> and these 16-year-old kids are rolling around in one, and I was like, Oh, hell no. When these kids are too old, I ain't getting them. That. They are going to get a used car. I'm going to CarMax. It's happening whether they like it or not. You saying he was not poor. No. Lord, I, I don't think you were poor I don't enough. think you were. You said CarMax. My mom would have said, we got to go to the street, find that for sale. That's how I got my first car. It was a tour. Well, I'm saying CarMax for my kids now. I didn't say there was CarMax didn't even exist back then. I know, but that's what I'm saying. You know, we did, We had like the little used lots. We couldn't go into them. My mom's like, no. Well, the only check. reason we had a tempo was because my dad worked for Ford. Oh, my gosh. My stepfather worked for Ford. Hey, Get out of here. Did they know each other? Maybe. Were they in the uh, assembly line? <laughs> no, not in the assembly line. He worked oh. first in parts and then worked his way to salesperson and then worked his way up to like a manager for the import yeah, stuff. Because they were like, oh, we should get the guy that speaks Spanish to uh, be part of our import department because we got a whole lot of business in South America. <laughs> not a bad um, plan at all. Not a yeah. bad plan. Greg, what what was your first car? So <laughs> I don't I don't fit in this conversation, George. <laughs> it's not a good place for me. Well, don't tell me you were driving like some like fancy car when you. First I, I was driving. I was driving. My first car was an Acura CL. So what is an Acura was, CL? I don't, I'm not uh, familiar. It's, with it's just an it's just an Acura. It's just a it was a four door a two door Acura. Oh, so you had like a fancy coupe. 
Yeah, I had, I had a nice little car. I, had a, I was lucky to have work. But I also had people around that I lived. I lived in Calabasas, man. Like, Calabasas. It's had, okay. You don't have to be <laughs> sad about that. Like, I wish I lived I'm, in Calabasas when I was growing up. <laughs> don't be ashamed, I'm Greg. Not, yeah. I'm not, like, don't, don't, no, listen. This, this is not about shit. No, 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 no. This, was, this is not conversation. Out of, this is a shame-free zone, okay? Right, Fair. But, like, I also I had people that were at the school that I went to, Calabasas High School, that people went to. They had brand new red um mustangs and they would crash them and they'd come back the next day and they with a brand, brand new red new mustang, red mustang. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah yeah i didn't get I that you. i didn't yeah. wasn't in that yeah general my area, kids but, will never yeah. be that they are going no. to drive they're going to be i don't care if they get clowned if they don't want to drive then so be it then you go take an uber to school every day <laughs> <laughs> my son cares so little about vehicles that he's never once asked to have one. He never once asked to buy one. And when he got it is a pain college, in the ass. Let's be real, you know. Like, but I, I mean, but again, back to your point, though. Like, you know, when we were that age, you know, trying to drive oh and, and be independent was like everything, right? Because that he, was independence. That right. literally. But he and all his friends were very content just to have all the parents drive them around. They right. did not care. About the and then he went to college in New York, which you know no one drives a car. Right, oh, right, in well, New yeah, York. for sure. There, yeah, yeah. And so you know he had to actually, he was so distant from driving. When he came out into Arizona for the pandemic, his license had expired. He had noticed, and he had to come and get an Arizona license because he just had not used it and didn't even notice that it had expired. <laughs> That's funny. By the way, our pal Jonathan Watson tweets us and says, "My mom's first car. She got it at a police auction." That's good. That's 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 the that's the yeah. role right there, bro. But by the way, those police auction cars are scary on the highway because you think that's a cop in your rearview mirror and you go slow as hell every time. Yeah, slow every as hell time. when you see that car in the back. When you see that, uh, what were those cars? Those Crown Victorias. You know what I mean? That they used yeah. to have in the nineties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. or, or those, those Chevy Malibus. Yeah, come on. Uh, anyway, it is best to be at the table than on the menu. So it's best to have people think you're a cop than have them be the person who thinks a cop's behind them. Yeah, well, for sure. All right, coming up next, we've got more 81-point Kobe observations as we remember the 15-year anniversary. If you remember where you were, who you were with, if you were at the game, where, where you were watching it, hit us up, 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. We didn't get to Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis being honest as hell. We'll tell you what he said in three minutes. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. What You Need to Know is brought to you by Morongo. Play it safe, good times. Greg, what do you got? Gregory? 
Our Good button is not working. Ah, there it goes. Jeez. Yep. Oh, not clicking the touch screen. Uh, anyway, Kike Hernandez, uh, who we all love as a Dodger, has signed a two-year, $14 million deal with the Boston Red Sox and is being reunited with Alex Verdugo. LZ, I know you have some feelings for Kike Hernandez. How do you feel about this move for Kike? I am happy for him and his family um, that he got the bag. But as a Dodger fan, I am definitely sad. Yeah. PK brought stuff to the field that you just can't quantify. And we're going to miss that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm happy for him, obviously, because if you can get the money, get the money. And he's going to uh, play for a guy in Alex Cora that I know he has uh, a good history with, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, it's an unfortunate situation for the Dodgers because he was such a, an integral piece of what they've done. But I just trust Andrew Friedman, man. That's just the deal. I, mean, I trust yeah. him, too. I'm just saying I'm going to miss. Kike, do you love me? <laughs> Calm down, Oh, God. Uh, I got one for you real quick, Greg. I'm going to go off script here. Sure. LZ, this just came up on my timeline. SportsCenter's Michael Eaves, uh, formerly here of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. has a cameo in the new Eminem music video that's debuting Saturday. Eaves plays himself in the new music video that debuts during UFC Live of Poirier and McGregor's pre-show. Awesome. How about that? That is fantastic news. Way to go, Eaves. If you e could e pick a current hip-hop star to appear in their music video, who would it be? Oh, Jake Cole. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, man. That is so good. Laura? J. Cole. If I can't get in J. I Cole, love then Jay give me Cole. Kendrick. But J. Cole, is that's just my... Oh, He's so said, nice, too. I almost said the wrong word. Yeah. But I, I wish... <laughs> I would love to be in the ATM video of J. Cole. Like, that would have been... Mm. I would have loved to have been in that video. Laura, do you have one? J. Cole. I love okay. J. Cole. Uh, I'm going to go with Kendrick. Because um, yeah. I, 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 I love Not Kendrick. I mean, there. I don't think there's a bad Kendrick song. Um, I think all of them are excellent, so I'm a huge fan. Uh, Greg, do you have any hip-hop star that you would love to be in their video? I was actually going to say Kendrick, too. So, yeah, okay. I was. Yeah. Fair enough. Right. Is that know. because that's only hip-hop artists you know? Oh, come on! <laughs> Current. <laughs> you can ask questions. Current. I, I probably know names. I just I don't listen to too much hip-hop. I know more old school. Yeah, give me – like, listen, I, I will say this. There's not a lot of young hip-hop stars that I'm listening to. Mm -hmm. I do like J. Cole. I do like Kendrick. Obviously, those are kind of two of my top uh, favorite at the moment as far as male artists. I do think the ladies are bringing the fire, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, whether it's Megan. Um, Go Cardi. Know, but, right, Cardi. Um, and who am I missing? What's the male equivalent of WAP? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe someone in the audience can help us out with that. Laura, what do you think? <laughs> you're, not, you're not getting me in this one. No, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm right, in trouble. That's what you need to know. Brought to you by Morago. Play it safe. Good times. Um, so, LZ, before, you know, we, I solicited calls if people want to chime in and give us their thoughts and, you know, whatever they remember from Kobe's 81-point game. Today is the 15-year anniversary. Feel free to do so at 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. We've been celebrating that all day um, just because, man, it was such an amazing accomplishment and to be able to just kind of remember his life would be awesome. And if you haven't seen, I've got a story up on ESPN.com where I talk to all the guys, um, the top guys that had to defend Kobe throughout his career, some of the best defenders of that era. 
and they had such great things and showed such reverence towards Kobe. It's on ESPN.com, the ESPN app, or on my Twitter page, at Sedano. You can find it there. What um, did you learn but, during the research? Uh, what I learned was how, how intense those guys took that particular battle. So, like, Shane Battier said to me that he would literally tell his friends – his family, his you know, his wife, the kids, don't talk to me on the day Kobe was playing against him. Like, nobody <laughs> talked to me. Like, I am just focused in, laser focused, okay, on Kobe. And, it, you know, and I, look, I know Shane a little bit, so I, I feel like that absolutely makes a lot of sense. Um, Shane also talked about the hand in the face game, which became infamous, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, was like he basically said, "I did that knowing that Kobe would be so infuriated that I did that <laughs> that he would just do whatever it took to try to beat the hand in the face, and would wor- would worry less potentially about the quality of shots that he was taking." Um, he said, "So for that one game, it did kind of work, and you know, it didn't work after that very much longer. But that one game, he was 11 of 33 in that game. So that, like, he felt like a small victory, a rare small victory for him. Um, and Tony Allen, so Tony Allen really, you know, made the story. He talked about the first time he defended Kobe that um, he was out there, and he was like, all right." I'm ready. That Paul Pierce was hyping him up. He was like, yo, man, you got this. You got this. Okay, you guard me in practice. You got this. That's Kobe Bryant. Go get him. Go get him. Let's go. Let's go. And that Not the same beast, dog. And then he says, he got out there and he was like, man, what am I going to do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, remember that Eddie Murphy Raw when, uh, when that dude uh, – <laughs> When he when he he said he was fighting with the guy after the Rocky movie and then he punched him in the face and he's like, Yeah, yeah, don't nobody mess with me. And then he looked and the guy was like, All right, that's how I like it. And then he was like, Oh crap, now I'm in trouble. Now I gotta fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like that. Um and Tony said his first game, he fouled out in eight minutes. And it was seven minutes and forty one seconds. I looked it up. Oh, my gosh. Insane. Seriously? Like, he got him that quick. Like, it was the, he said it was the most embarrassing thing, and he said that would never happen to him again, and he didn't. He said he would – he knew when Kobe was on the schedule that he would eat, breathe, and sleep Kobe. In between eating meals, he'd be watching Kobe video. When he'd be stretching, he'd be watching Kobe videos. He'd get treatment, he'd be watching Kobe film. Like, these guys took that assignment as serious as anything they ever had to do on a basketball floor. I, I, you know, as I said, I'm a big Kobe fan and have seen him play, I don't know, north of 20 times, maybe even 30 times or whatever, which is a lot considering I didn't live in live in L.A. when he was playing. But the thing that I always figured was horrific as a defender was that Kobe was so complete as an offensive force that I would just be afraid to give away anything with my hip positioning. Right. So if my hips were facing one way, Uh-oh. I knew Kobe was going to kill me another way. Like yeah. it was like there's nowhere you can place your hips that Kobe wouldn't be able to take advantage of you being off balance. And I was just like going, everyone else, not everyone else, but a lot of great offensive players, they have their stuff, right? And that's what they're going to do, and you can't stop their stuff. With Kobe, when you watch him play, you realize he had so much stuff 
that he was actually letting you decide which one he was going to use based upon where your hips and your feet were located. And I was just like, that's just got to be like nerve wracking as a defender. So you, here's a story that didn't make the actual story on print. But if you go to the U, ESPN's YouTube, it's in my conversation with Tony Allen. Mm-hmm. So he said that during, uh, you know, they played obviously twice in the finals in, when he was with the Celtics in 08 and 10. And he said that he's like, Kobe was so smart, man. He used every little thing to his advantage. So he said there was a play where, you know, Tony was like, dude, I never ran the triangle at any spot, but because I faced him so many times, I knew the triangle. You know what I mean? So he's like, there was a play where they would uh, swing the ball, swing the ball. They would get it to Kobe. He would then swing it one more time. They'd set a back screen for him, and he would then get be able to get the ball in the post and then do his magic down there, right? Um, And he said, so I knew that play was coming. So what happened was... When Powell set the screen, I shot the screen. And when they swung the ball to Kobe, I was able to grab his left hand and with my left hand steal the ball and go down for a transition layup. And he's like, he's like, ooh, I got him. You know what I mean? And then he was like, he said, they came back and ran the same play. And then on the, he's like, oh, I'm going to get him again. Like, this is crazy. No, and, Tony, no. And then he says that while they're, the ball is swinging, Kobe's talking to Powell in Spanish, right? <laughs> and that Powell comes and fakes setting the screen, and Kobe fakes going and darts back to the three-point line. Tony has darted through the screen, so he's, he's completely out of position. And then he tries to come back to contest the three, and Kobe hits a three in his face. And it's like that. He's like, man, he drove me crazy with that kind of stuff. Oh, and he, he did that to. stuff all the time. He had to, dog. Like, yeah. I, like, when you just watch him, you're like going, he can shoot floaters with both hands. Yeah. He can spin off both shoulders. Mm-hmm. He can go glass off – Every angle, basically. Yeah. Like, no matter what you did as a defender, on an individual basis, he had a counter move for. Yeah. And he developed counter moves very early. And I was just like, oh, man, that just has to be just... Like, even Jordan, as great as he was, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people have their own opinions, but in my opinion, in the, in, when it comes to footwork, I felt that Kobe's footwork was pushed to the test and sure. thus appeared to be better than Jordan's because he had to have so many more answers to defenders than Jordan. Right, right, agreed. Let me go to the phones here. Steven in Studio City said he snuck into the Kobe 81-point game. Steven, how did you sneak into the game? I didn't sneak in. But oh, you tried. People forget. No, okay. people forget that the Clippers played that same day. Right. And my middle school easy to took us on that, a field friend. trip. They took us on a field trip, Okay. and me and my cousin at the game we kept talking about how we should just hide in the bathrooms and stay for the night game, because we're <laughs> obviously Laker fans. And, of course, he scores 81, and we just called each other and talked about it the whole night, how we sh- could have been there if we just stayed in the bathroom. Did you, did you even think about – did you actually make it into the bathroom, or did you just – No, no, we were like 13, so we, we knew it was going to be bad because it was a school field trip. Oh, that's <laughs> we funny. We didn't want to risk that. That's funny. That is funny. But yeah. 13 well, years old, man. Good for you. R.I.P. Kobe. All right, man, Steven. Yes, yes sir. sir. Thank yes, you, sir. guys. Uh, let me grab Manuel and Gardena. Manuel, how long has it been since we've talked to you? Uh, too long. Mi hermano cubano. Hey, and buddy. LZ, the L.A. Times legend. Hey, 
So, man, I hope you guys indulge me because, man, this takes me way back. These were the days right after you had to pick Shaq or Kobe, right? Yeah. And I remember I was in the Kobe minority, man. There was a lot of Shaq faithful, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, to me, in reality, Kobe was the best NBA player from 2003 to, like, 2009. But we all remember because of the Colorado stuff, mm-hmm. he did not get acknowledged. And uh, this game, to me, was like the cement, like the exclamation point of him telling the league, you know what, you guys don't have to give me the MVP or whatnot, but we all know that I'm the best that there is right now. And in my honest opinion, like you were saying, LZ, I mean, MJ was something, but Kobe was literally the closest thing to MJ I ever saw on the court. Carbon copy, man. You know what I mean? Like just a little bit less probably, but Kobe had his own skill set. He had the longevity a little more, I think of being so dynamic and man, R.I.P. Kobe. I can't believe it's been 15 years. Hey, fellas, keep up the great work, not the good job. You guys do excellent stuff. Thank you, Manuel. Appreciate it, buddy. Manuel Gardena drops off, opens it up for you. Feel free to bring your uh, Kobe 81 point game memories at 877-710-ESPN. Coming up next, though, Clint Yates, our pal, is going to stop by. We'll talk to him about Hank Aaron's passing. Uh, we want to talk to him about uh, championship weekend and all the things going on this weekend as well. He will join us in three minutes. 